I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. New rules that have come out about social media regulation in India have some pretty serious implications uh, for privacy, for data collection by social media giants, and most importantly, a second-hand effect. They could have some pretty serious implications for things that you and I do on social media. The day is theoretically not far where uh, somebody who puts out a WhatsApp forward, no matter how well-intentioned, could potentially have it traced back to them and face uh, legal consequences for it. Now, in practice, given that WhatsApp has become a repository of misinformation and so on, it might seem like a good idea, but rules like this cannot be read away from uh, the context within which they're coming out. And given the recent trend that we've seen over the last few months of the way that the government has kind of been using its powers to silence criticism of things that haven't been going well for it, uh, it could potentially have some very serious ramifications for individual liberty and for freedom of the press and a whole bunch of other things that are so fundamental to uh, the ideals of the Indian constitution. But before we get into all these potential implications, let's first try to understand uh, what exactly these rules are saying. So Rohan, over to you. Can you first help us understand what these rules are saying and what kind of immediate first-order ramifications they may have uh, for social media giants and for the users? Hey, thanks. Bunch of things, actually. Let me try to answer your question with a little bit of an anecdote. So the draft for these rules came out back in 2018. And um, ever since then, there has been a lot of anticipation around um, just tech policy circles in Delhi around um, when this thing is going to be finalized. And uh, I remember being vaguely concerned about the draft at the time in 2018. And because the draft basically said that if you're a social media company that has over 50 lakh users, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Kritik, I don't remember the threshold now, but if you have above a certain number of users, then you need to have a grievance officer stationed in India that the government can reach out to. You need to take down content if it violates public order and a bunch of other things. I think at some point, the rules also said that if the content is blasphemous, you need to take it down, but you will have to confirm. And um, generally, content moderation was going to change. And I remember thinking this is extremely serious because it also said that we need to find out where the origin of particular messages is coming from. And so we would need you to give us that information when we ask for it. That's what the government was saying to these intermediaries. And um, intermediaries, of course, are platforms and other things that are sort of intermediate. They play an intermediate role in your connection to the internet and so on and to communication. And the encryption thing really struck everyone in tech policy circles. And they kept on talking about it until donkey's ears. And I thought this is the worst possible version of these rules that we could have. And I kept saying it in different op-eds for the last three years. And um, lo and behold, this this time, finally, we have these rules. And they're not just looking at intermediaries, they're also looking at news channels and content creators and trying to have a different version of a censor board. Uh, I mean, not as a censor board, just a different version of censorship that is different from a censor board. It's going to have a censorship mechanism for OTTs. And it's basically setting up a big disincentive to, to have any edgy content on the internet. And so basically what this is, it's it's new rules for how social media companies have to operate on how these OTT players that are 
uh, I mean, including Faye D'Souza or through Rati or, or whoever, also these um, streaming services and what they can put up online. Uh, so so that's basically where we are at. Uh, if you want to read the full rules or analysis of them, we can put some links in the show notes. But that basically, it's how it's how companies on the internet are supposed to function and how to deal with content that is not something that the government likes. Yeah. If I can add to that, right? As as one mentioned, there there are essentially two parts to these rules. One concerns your uh, intermediaries, which is you know basically anything from a cyber cafe to Facebook that sits between you and the internet. Uh, now, cyber cafe is of course not not directly named uh, anywhere in 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 these in these uh, specific rules themselves. Uh, but the interesting thing to note is that they've also carved out a separate classification for social media intermediaries, right? Uh, and and within that, anything above. Uh, 5 million users classify as a significant uh, social media intermediaries in which where they've enlisted, uh, enlisted a bunch of additional uh, obligations on them, uh, where they need to have a chief compliance officer in the country, they need to have a grievance officer who's in the country, and, you know, and also pertaining to automated moderation or automated takedown of content. Right? Now, these, are, these, have, these have serious impl- implications uh, as well, and as you know, as you mentioned, Arun, it's important to look at these in the context of the scenario in which they've been uh, ro- rolled out as well, right? And on the other side of it, which is as Ron mentioned, the news publishers and uh, the online curated content platforms, uh, they've also instituted a three-tier mechanism of of oversight, right? Which is the first is a grievance officer at each platform level. Then there's call for a self-regulatory organization, and and right on top there is what what they've what been referred to as a soft touch mechanism, but it's essentially a judgment by the executive uh, that will play an oversight role uh, in, in this scenario, right? So th- th- there are significant implications that these rules will put into place. So there's there's really so much to get into, uh, but let's let's try to take this one by one, right? So let's let's begin at the beginning and let's talk first about how intermediaries are affected by these new rules. You said that everyone from uh, a social media giant to a cyber cafe is potentially affected. What does that really mean in practice? Does that mean that, let's say that um, I go on, I go to a cyber cafe because I don't know, the internet in my house isn't working and I tweet out something uh, and somebody or the other in the government has a problem with what I've tweeted for whatever reason. Does that mean that they can arm twist the cyber cafe into revealing my details? As far as I know, that's technically al- already in place, right? You, the cyber cafes are maintained to are required to maintain a strict log of who uses these services, etc. So uh, I think to a large extent, that's already uh, in place. I, I don't know, Rowan, if 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 you think differently. No, no. My thing is yes, the government can arm to cyber cafes. I mean, they didn't they didn't need these rules to arm to cyber cafes in the first place, but. My point is that not all intermediaries are equal. So a cyber cafe has less power than Facebook. And a cyber cafe also may not have the information that the government is looking for. So yes, the government can arm twist a bunch of people from ranging from cyber cafes to, to data cloud computing providers to, to these platforms. Yes, but how they are going to affect these social media companies, I think it's it's quite something. So, I mean, I want to look at a few use cases first, but let me... And this is going to be a bit of a rant, but so yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I think a rant is the very least that these uh, wonderful uh, rules deserve at this point. Oh, it's, so it it begins with uh, me sitting in this in this conference that we were having in New Delhi about these rules, and we are getting into so the conference at the time is getting into this the weeds of what these rules are going to do, and and my my basic question to any of this 
is that how does the government decide what is how to enforce this 5 million user threshold right because for example apps don't come up in app stores asking for the government's regulation i don't know this is 5 million registered users daily active users monthly users and i don't know if how does the government know that an app has crossed 5 million users there is just apps don't reveal these figures to governments on their own volition of their own volition so is that something they have to do now right it's very weird and so my only possible explanation for this is that um, this looks like a nice number the government said listen if you have 5 million users you're, you're pretty big and so they're not going to actually monitor every intermediate that has 5 million users instead they're just going to maybe look at twitter facebook and maybe sometime in a distant future clubhouse but i mean this this is fairly ambiguous just just at the beginning going forward how does how does this affect people that have over 5 million users so the the thing here is that they're saying you should have a grievance officer right which is which is good i mean objectively if if you just look at that a grievance officer is not an absolutely terrible idea right at the same time you've got to imagine that let's say I mean, let's say you, there's a video recording that's happening on youtube live right and uh, and something that's that was said triggers a certain faction of people who will who belong to some political sentiments and so on and so now so for example if if there's a newscaster like fade isuza and she has a team of four people then one of them has to be has to be a grievance officer so can you imagine the sheer number of random things that are going to come up to to that team and none of this is going to be checked and balanced uh, because it can be just some random person who just believe that this particular thing has triggered them and similarly for for breaking end to end encryption um, i think nikhil pawa was on on a tv interview and he basically said listen requiring traceability of where these messages are coming from is going to require platforms to re-architect how they were created and which is not something i'm comfortable with why should governments tell companies how these platforms should be architected right is there now just one single mode of uh, platform architecture that's acceptable in india i don't know i don't know and the other thing here is that i mean use case wise it makes sense if you've got from whatsapp to whatsapp some something that let's say let's say prateek and i are joking right and we are making fun of anirudh it's it's perfectly acceptable because i think it's 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 in good fun and we don't mean him harm but if no i'm i'm going to call the grievance officer man this is unacceptable <laughs> you can't but that's my point see if for me and prateek this is not actually something that's unacceptable behavior but if you read that conversation then it, it's going to be harmful to you that's how that's how just information works we, people don't consume it in an objective environment okay it's consuming it is subjective so something that's playful to to us can be can be damaging to you and that's why these things can be can be filed and for example there's a whatsapp forward that i that i made in jest and now has caused something completely different that i didn't intend to am i to be held responsible and to, for that to happen does whatsapp need to completely rearchitect its platform and imagine if it's not just on whatsapp but if i am actually typing out something on whatsapp and sharing it on let's say twitter or i'm sharing it on signal if it's cross platform then what is the protocol there because then do all platforms need to need to have this common thing where one platform can tell the other platform where the message where the message came from i mean to me it's all a bit bonkers it's it's ambiguous and purposefully so and i and i feel like this should be challenged in court because at the very starting point of this the it act didn't mean to cover any of this so it's just i mean sorry about the long rant but there is just so much that needs to be this reformed 
and and how this is being carried out. I I, I think we can discuss other implications later. But this just makes a massive disincentive for any social media uh, companies or news organizations or just people who are doing independent news reporting. It makes a massive disincentive to have anything edgy on there. And when I, when I mean edgy, it's in the most subjective sense because you just got to be, you just got to be, I don't know how, to, how else to say this. But you, anything other than the most safe and bland and inoffensive content is now potentially going to come with massive financial and legal implications. Yep. And so there's an incentive for all these platforms to basically ensure that there's, how do I put this, that the, the discourse on their platforms is as uh, inoffensive, pro-government and mediocre as, as possible. It just And thank you. I mean, actually, thank you for this rant, Rohan, because I think you've covered a lot of, of very, very significant points very eloquently. The first and foremost being that where on earth is the legal basis for any of this? The IT Act, as you said, was not designed for the kind of world of IT that we see today. And yet these these rules are supposed to be uh, acting in accordance with that. They're potently illegal. Uh, I have no idea how on earth they've already been implemented. And that shouldn't be happening. And also thank you for the perspective on how platforms have to be fundamentally retooled. I can imagine there must be absolute panic in a lot of these places right now. Because if you don't comply with them, then the penalties to you are going to be massive. Uh, and by saying that businesses can only perform a certain way in India, then you're basically holding back not just content on existing platforms, but you're also holding back new platforms from innovating. And I find that to be rather ironic coming from a, a dispensation that claims to be pro-innovation and wants to uh, use IT to help power India's growth. Uh, and I think the the most the single biggest takeaway from, from this entire thing was that it has clearly not been thought through from the perspective of uh, actual users and people who are actually going to be implementing this has been has been thought through totally from the perspective of what is convenient to the government and the enforcing apparatus and that is absolutely the wrong perspective to go about thinking about any kind of legislation that could potentially impact so many millions of people across india and potentially fundamentally change the way that uh, citizens have discourse in the 21st century that's something that is seriously concerning and it'd be like saying that public gatherings are no longer allowed or you're no longer allowed to talk to your friends without somebody from the government being able to listen in to you and trace back to you what you're allowed to say. In no democratic country where we have Supreme Court judgments protecting the right to privacy, can rules like this be in any way tenable? You are fundamentally changing the public sphere itself. And there are major, major implications to that. You said that the rules are ambiguous and that is deliberate. And yes, of course, they are they're deliberately ambiguous. It's meant to give some faceless bureaucrat sitting in some, some faceless government building in Delhi absolute power to control what you say on social media. And for for those who might think that because it's it's a political dispensation that they're in favor of, it's okay. It is really not because Indian governments, no matter what the particular ruling party is, have a well-established track record of using whatever tools they have and some tools that they they also don't legally have uh, to prosecute those who disagree with them. So if the tables if the tables were turned. If it was the other major political party of India in control of this apparatus, would we be okay with them controlling what we say on social media to this extent? I don't think so. And I think for that reason alone, we should be very, very concerned about uh, what kind of implications these rules are going to have. Now, Saron, you've talked a lot about how these uh, impact platforms, the, the big fish in this entire game, as it were. But I'm actually very concerned about the impact it might have on activists. We, we know in, in great and 
rather painful detail how various state governments, even municipal governments, uh, have gone out of their way to prosecute whistleblowers, uh, to prosecute activists, and you know, often do so in absolutely horrific and extrajudicial ways. As a result of that, a lot of people who are activists on Twitter and on social media uh, do so anonymously, with the whole idea being that they are anonymously able to speak truth to power while not being at the receiving end of the Indian state's brutality. Uh, now you're basically coming to a situation where for shedding light on, let's say, corruption, uh, for shedding light on, let's say, uh, police abusing their power or for shedding light on, let's say, some bureaucrat uh, accepting money to let some kind of dangerous project goes through that that pollutes groundwater and kills children, the government can trace you down, can track you down and, and unleash its brutality on you. So all in all, these are very, very concerning and very worrying developments. And I, I don't think there's uh, any way to water it down. Uh, I know that every week we tend to talk about disturbing new things happening in tech, but this this really takes the cake in all the time that uh, we've been doing these episodes. Uh, but let me pause my rant here and... Um, Pratik, do you have any any thoughts, any comments on potential implications, what might happen going forward? I think uh, Rohan's made a couple of good points about, uh, you know, whether these can potentially be challenged in, in court or not. Your point about the v- verification of users is also interesting, right? Uh, at this point, it's positioned as a voluntary mechanism. But we've, we've, we've seen how there is a tendency for something to something that's insured as voluntary to then become uh, to become mandatory or enforced in in some some way shape or form right uh, and there is it plays into this whole line of thought which i've seen very often that hey if we end at anonymity we're going to end all our uh, information ecosystem problems right uh, and i think you know there is it leaves me shaking my head vigorously when i read when i read such views because there is absolutely nothing to say that it you know just because you end anonymous accounts any all sorts of misinformation, disinformation is going to stop because as we've seen, a lot of them happen to be verified, named accounts, named people who go out and spread, you know, propaganda, information, etc. for their own political ends, right? Uh, so there is this misconception that's now finding its way into, into legislation or, you know, or into uh, executive action. There's a couple of other interesting points, you know, I, we, I know we've said a lot of negative things about it, but there's a couple of interesting things as well in terms of the requirement for transparency reports, uh, right? I think that's something that is that is interesting in the sense that this is something that, you know, I think Rohan and me have, have argued for, uh, have spoken about very often that platforms typically tend to dump data on us from a, a very North American, Western European perspective. Uh, and there's very, it's very hard to tell uh, what's happening from, you know, in, in countries like India, right? Uh, I think some sort of uh, push to... At this point, this you know this pertains to the grievance redressal, uh, gr- grievance redressal mechanisms, right? But if there is something that pushes them to release more data uh, in terms of how they're enforcing their policies in India, uh, I think that can be that can be a long-term positive development. Keeping in mind, keeping in mind very importantly that uh, there is also the very real chance of weaponization of transparency in the sense that there will be so much information that you won't know what to do with it, how to analyze it, how to pass it, uh, right? So there are those smaller things that that we should also be paying attention to uh, in, in these tools right we we we've, we've spoken a lot about the broad strokes implications but there are you know as with as with any rules there are also minor points that we need we need to look at and make sure they don't get lost in in the din as well no fair enough in terms of actually analyzing all this information and systematically shaping the media ecosystem i don't necessarily think the government can do that uh, my bigger concern is of them making examples 
Yeah. Uh, and those examples basically being used to kind of uh, terrify people into not doing things. I mean, very obviously the case that has been uh, filed against the makers of uh, Tandav is meant to do some chest thumping about uh, not offending a particular religion, for example. Or the arrest of an activist for editing a Google Doc is, again, it seems to me, rather than being based on a deep analysis of facts, the, the bail order itself reveals that uh, the police really cut some corners. And why would they do that? It seems to me, again, yeah, and, that it's a sign. And that's, I don't know, that's a very good point. So, you know, we, we were speaking about the traceability requirements, right? Uh, and, and the rules themselves specifically say that uh, so th- there is, uh, I guess, in courts, an inbuilt safeguard where this, you know, it can be used when the imprisonment for for the crime is more than five years. But that presupposes that there is never overreach on that front, right? That you that yeah. sections of the IPC in charge sheets are are applied very judici- judiciously. Exactly. Uh, which 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 we've seen is is not really always the case, right? Uh, so that you know, and also the way that it's framed is that it's uh, you know heinous crimes of like more than that deserve more than five years of punishments, such as that there were like two or three examples given, like I think uh, treason against India's sovereignty, whatnot. And then there was an etc. And I feel that that etc. is far more telling than anything else that's actually in the bill because it leaves it gives so much leeway for uh, some jumped up bureaucrat who who has taken it upon himself to prove to his overlords that he's a very uh, he's a, he's a, he's an aggressive go getter to basically go and prosecute whoever he sees fit and that is a matter of that is a matter of concern in my point of view yeah and there's another important point that we haven't touched on which i think is you know pertaining to uh, the regulation of digital news media right uh, there is there is a question mark on how this is going to apply to international news outlets right there was actually a, a very there was an a question on on this front in the press conference the if so if if, if you look up the video it's absolutely it's the last question that came in and and the answer was sort of uh, open ended in the sense that look we have asked for uh, gre- you know gr- grievance redressal mechanism then if you if you think you can sit in the US and show content in India then then that's not right so it it it's and and, and I've seen this uh, in a couple of uh, articles about uh, the rules as well right so it it's really an open question at this stage in terms of how these rules can be used against uh, in international news outlets, which we, which we've seen right now, are tending towards being critical of uh, a lot of the moves that uh, the government is making, and I think that that's a space to uh, to watch out for uh, in terms of how that's going to that's going to play out, right? So and again, this is not necessarily saying that they, we're going to go and block uh, the New York Times tomorrow, but uh, it I, I think it's going to be important to watch how the how we react or how the government reacts to to continue to sustain criticism from uh, from international news outlets. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. Um, like we alluded to in the beginning of this conversation, you cannot divorce anything the government is doing now from the political context within which they are occurring. Uh, and I think the fact that they're coming just as we're seeing a whole bunch of criticism, in my view, justified about various things, that we're seeing these rules come out is extremely significant. But yeah, it is it is going to be curious to see what kind of pushback, if any, there is. Uh, given what Owen was saying about how fundamentally these change the way that platforms do things, what kind of pushback do you guys anticipate? Hey, just a couple of things I want to add before before the pushback. Um, it's um, so first thing is when you talked about the the stuff that said uh, sovereignty and friendly relations with other states, etc. It's not just the etc. that's that's troubling me because the, the it's it also talks about public order. 
as as something that can be used as a, as a rationale to to basically trigger some of the other contents in in this in this new notification um which is so public order is essentially different from criminality right um but what exactly is public order i mean do protests come under a part of public order because i mean it's it's subjective right it's a much broader term and i think it's going to be pretty damaging and also going to be hard to justify what is and isn't public order i mean i i see a lot more edge cases coming which are which is going to lead to a lot of problems in the future but let's hope that's not prophetic the other thing i wanted to talk to you guys about was was the problem statement because i mean generally and we do this in our courses at takshila this is a humble plug but i'm going to do it anyway but the the thing here is generally policies are put in place to address a problem right there is a regulation that is proactive there is regulation that is reactive it's not clear to me exactly what the problem statement is here what what are what is it that these guidelines are trying to fix and because the point is that if there is a problem that has been identified then we can look at whether breaking encryption is the way to go about this or whether there are other places in the stack that we can actually look at modifying and getting to what we actually want um similarly i i i'm just not sure what the government is trying to fix why are they going about it this way and generally i would love it if there was a white paper that and this is maybe just me being extremely optimistic but i just don't understand how a white paper could harm this particular debate as of right now because there's so much pushback if there was a white paper that told us this is the problem this is why we are using this thing and they should they should fix it for example the rbi when they came up with localization norms uh, said I and mean, it wasn't exactly a white paper as, as long as it was it was two paragraphs but the key thing there was we want unfettered supervisory access to the financial data because it's a sensitive thing i mean i could i could see that yes this is maybe not the best way of fixing the problem but at least i knew what the problem was here i am just dumbfounded as to what the problem statement is and why we are using these things to these extremely drastic measures to go about fixing this i mean i am i'm so lost and also like so concerned so so yeah on on the pushback thing i think there's going to be a lot and i think prateek can add to this but generally i think most of these big companies uh, that make edgy content and I, when i say edgy i mean stuff like sacred games or i don't know tandav for sure but there's going to be pushback i mean i i feel like a lot of big companies are going to take the government to court regarding this i i'd be surprised if that didn't happen and uh, i'd i'd like to see what a judge has to say about this and how how they weigh in on this but uh, i think we are in for some very problematic battles for the future of india's internet and i think that that clock starts ticking now yeah so yeah i i'm actually not as optimistic as as rohan in terms of pushback right now i i think you know i think it, it was digipub that came out and and criticized the the rules in a in a letter to to prakash javdekar but in general right i don't see anyone taking too much of an adversarial stance to these to these rules at least not organizationally they might say that okay we have problems with this this part of the rules but in general we welcome the rules right those are the sort of vacuous statements we've been getting uh, so far while while we're discussing these rules being challenged in court that that hasn't happened yet it it may happen but i doubt that's going to come from one of the larger tech companies i suspect that's probably going to be be a pil by an activist exposing themselves to to risk uh, in some way or the other uh, so it it yeah i i don't unfortunately share rohan's optimism in terms of uh, how much of uh, a pushback there is going to be 
can you just let me have this man just please <laughs> i i i also wish i i'm not sure i should i share the confusion about what exactly these rules are meant to do uh, clearly from a policy perspective there is no actual clear policy problem that they meant to tackle uh, but in terms of uh, publicity pr government image i think the motivation behind these rules is actually uh, staring us in the face uh, which is which is always a sad day for it's always a sad day for any democracy when you have to rely on the courage of activists to hold the government to account let's hope as as always we can only hope that uh, things will turn out better than we inevitably predict predict them to but yeah that um, i hope that uh, that gives all of all of you all of our listeners uh, a better sense uh, of what exactly these um, new rules might lead to and what they might hold uh, in future if not immediately at least in the years and, and decades perhaps to come uh, how they will uh, shape the conversations uh, on india by indians and by the rest of the world let's hope that um, a generation from now we don't see this moment as uh, as a turning point uh, in a negative sense of the word um, on that note uh, thank you both rohan and prateek for joining me thank you and thank you all for listening to all things policy if you liked our show don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the ivm network you can tune into them on the ivm podcast app ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts you can also follow ivm on social media the handle is at @ivmpodcasts on twitter facebook and instagram and hey if you'd like to dive into takshashila's research on technology strategy and economic affairs check us out at our twitter handle at @takshashila_inst or our website takshashila.org.in